Welcome to Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. Today, we continue our examination of Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy with part three of our three-part introductory preface. On our last episode, we explored Through the Wire as an example of Kanye's early production and rapping style. We also saw how the track spearheaded the release of his major label debut, The College Dropout, an album made possible by Kanye's unsaleable resolve and self-confidence. On today's episode, we'll cover Kanye's early discography and the life events leading up to the creation of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Our job today is frankly impossible. We're going to cover four masterful albums in a little over 30 minutes, a borderline audacious premise for a show about in-depth analysis. But we must remember the larger goal, to provide context, to get a basic understanding of the arc of Kanye's musical output and success. We'll cherry-pick a song or two from each album that's representative of Kanye's production and lyrical subject matter at that particular time gaining a broad sense of the evolution of Kanye's art leading up to our main course, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And so without further ado, let's dissect. As we heard on our last episode, Kanye's early musical style was defined by his chipmunk soul production, and a unique lyricism that was equally at home in both conscious and superficial subject matter. In the same breath, Kanye muses on faith, insecurity, and Louis Vuitton, all laced with humor and a relatable candidness that made his music so accessible to such a wide audience. Case in point, the song Jesus Walks from his debut album The College Dropout of 2004. Here, Kanye packages law enforcement and racial profiling with the punchline from the comedy movie Happy Gilmore and a song about Jesus. Our initial reaction is perhaps to chuckle at Kanye's clever and somewhat absurd use of this pop culture reference in a line about police brutality. It's the kind of juxtaposition stand-up comedians often use when addressing serious issues. It's entertaining and engaging, style and substance, comedy and tragedy. And we'll see this juxtaposition time and time again in Kanye's early work. On the song All Falls Down, Kanye speaks on materialism as a symptom of insecurity, the charade of power, the African-American's place in the American dream, all with earnestness and a charming humor. I'm so self-conscious. That's why you always see me with at least one of my watches. Rollies and poshes that drove me crazy. I can't even pronounce nothing. Pass that for safety. Then I spent 400 bucks on this. Just to be like, nigga, you ain't up on this. And I can't even go to the grocery store without some ones that's clean and a shirt with a team. Scene, we live in the American dream. The people highest up got the lowest self-esteem. The prettiest people do the ugliest things. The concluding lines of this verse are especially poignant. Kanye raps, we shine because they hate us, floss because they degrade us, 
We're trying to buy back our 40 acres. And for that paper, look how low we'll stoop. Even if you in a Benz, you're still an N-word in a coupe. Kanye here suggests that the African-American community's instincts to boost and parade their material things is born of insecurity, a fruitless attempt to prove their worth in reaction to historic degradation that dates back to slavery. The last two lines continue the allusions to slavery. He says, and for that paper, look how low we'll stoop, which on the surface implies degrading oneself in an attempt to get money. But the word stoop also calls to mind a porch stoop common to American homes and plantations in the South. The next line, even if you in a Benz, you still a N-word in a coupe, suggests that even the most desirable of material things can't change the color of your skin or the perception of black Americans. The word coupe then comes to have multiple meanings. On the surface, it refers of course to the luxury car, Mercedes-Benz coupe. But coupe, spelled C-O-O-P, is also slang for prison implying that materialism is a new kind of slavery in contemporary society. The college dropout is full of potent lines and verses, but it's also equally fun and lighthearted. Songs like The New Workout Plan, Breathe In, Breathe Out, and Slow Jams find Kanye at his most whimsical. The Michael Jackson line holds great significance in the early Kanye's mind. He told Rolling Stone, quote, That line made me a star. Before that record came out, I used to go to Virgin Mega's store and thank God for these last moments of solitude because I knew I'd be famous after people heard the Michael Jackson line. And it's true, Slow Jams was Kanye's first number one single on an album that collected 10 Grammy nominations, propelling Kanye into the national limelight. And while the tone and content of the college dropout may not seem or sound revolutionary to our ears today, at the time in 2004, what Kanye West pulled off was remarkable. He broke the mold of mainstream rap iconography, which at the time was dominated by drug-dealing personas and Southern crunk. Rather than shunning or hiding his middle-class background to fit in, he embraced and used it to his advantage, addressing themes like the false security of college, nine-to-five jobs, God, and materialism that proved relatable across cultures and economic classes. He offered social criticism without being preachy or judgmental, at once confident and self-conscious, deeply personal, honest, with an affable sense of humor. Man, man, if my manager insults me again, I will be assaulting him. After I fuck the manager up, then I'm gonna shorten the register up. Let's go back, back to the gap. Look at my check, wantin' no scratch. So if I stole, what am I fault? Yeah, I stole, never get caught. They take me to the back and pay. It's honestly hard to overstate the long-term impact the college dropout had on the direction of popular music. It paved the way for many of today's most successful rappers who are allowed to feel comfortable in their own skin, allowed to talk about clothes and God in the same song, allowed to dress, talk, and rhyme from the heart without fear of fitting in. It popularized backpacks and polos, set the gold standard of chipmunk soul production, and made hip-hop more relatable to a larger audience. On the 10-year anniversary of the college dropout, Kanye took to Twitter to express some heartfelt words about the album. Quote, Ten years ago today, we finally released what had been my life's work up until that point, the college dropout. I say finally because it was a long road, 
a constant struggle, and a true labor of love to not only convince my peers and the public that I could be an artist, but to actually get that art out for the world to hear." For Kanye, it would seem that forever embedded in the college dropout is a struggle that it took to create it. We spent a good amount of time detailing that struggle in our first two episodes, the naysayers and the non-believers, the producer marginalization, the challenge of securing a record deal, the near-fatal car accident. If not for Kanye's persistence and the uncompromising determination, we can confidently say the college dropout would never have existed. Kanye would not be the cultural force he is today, and the shape of popular music and contemporary culture would look drastically different. I got the perfect song for the kids to sing. And all my people that's drug dealing just to get by, stack your money till it gets sky high. To make it past 25 Jokes on you, we still alive Throw your hands up in the sky And say we don't care what people say If this is your first time hearing this You are about to experience Before moving on, I'd like to take a few minutes To explore a few interviews and sound bites From 2004 and 2005 The time between the release of The College Dropout And Kanye's next album, Late Registration Though it's hard to imagine now, the world had mostly never heard of Kanye West before. And while the college dropout was accepted almost universally for its musical ingenuity, Kanye's behavior and interaction with the press instantly made clear that he was not your typical, by-the-script public figure. In a foreshadowing of larger controversies to come, Kanye stormed out of the 2004 American Music Awards when he lost the Best New Artist category to Gretchen Wilson. Though no audio or video footage was captured, he told reporters backstage, quote, I felt like I was definitely robbed, and I refused to give any politically correct bullshit-ass comment. I was the best new artist this year, unquote. Of course, the incident made headlines. Kanye was later nominated for 10 Grammy Awards, including Best New Artist, and a subplot of the ceremony became what Kanye's reaction would be if he didn't win. He didn't win Best New Artist, but he did win Best Rap Album and proceeded to give what has become one of the more memorable acceptance speeches in Grammy history. When I had my accident, I found out at that moment, nothing in life is promised except death. If you had the opportunity to play this game of life, you need to appreciate every moment. A lot of people don't appreciate their moment until it's past. Huh. And then you got to tell those Al Bundy stories. You, you remember when I... But um, right now is my time and my moment, thanks to the fans, thanks to the accident, thanks to God, thanks to Rockefeller, Jay-Z, Dame Dash, G, my mother, Rhyme Fest, everyone that's helped me. And I plan, I, I, I plan to celebrate. I plan to celebrate and scream and pop champagne every chance I get, because I'm at the Grammys, baby. I know, I know every, I know everybody asked me the question. They wanted to know what kind. I knew he's gonna wild out and he's gonna do something crazy. Everybody wanted to know what I would do 
if I didn't win? I guess we'll never know. What you can't see here is the audience giving Kanye West a standing ovation because Kanye at this time was still the new kid on the block and his arrogance slash confidence seemed to be viewed as a youthful, almost childlike eccentricity. Interestingly, Kanye from day one acknowledged his ego with a self-aware psychological insight that often gets overlooked. In a 2004 interview with Today, Kanye said, quote, I say in my songs, I'm so insecure. So a lot of times, arrogance is to combat insecurity. So in order for me to go out and do what I've done, facing insecurity and facing people telling me I couldn't do it, I had to build a force field around myself. I had to be a borderline lunatic to think that I could do what I've done. Unquote. Kanye's unfiltered persona doesn't end with Kanye's own opinion of himself. He'd also speak out against what he saw wrong with the world around him. In August of 2004, Kanye went on MTV and took a stand against homophobia and hip-hop. Mind you, in 2017, this may not seem like a risk, but in 2004, the landscape of gay rights in America was generally less progressive than it is today, especially in a genre of music dominated by machismo. Everybody in high school be like, yo, you acting like a fag. You acting like, thaw, you gay? And... I used to deal with that when I was in high school. And what happened is it, um, it made me kind of like homophobic because it's like, I would like go back and like question myself, like, damn, why does everybody else walk like this and I walk like this? So why is then you start just looking? Because you don't realize until you're in high school, people are like, yo, fam, look at you. Look at how you act. If you see something and you don't want to be that because it's such a negative connotation towards it, you try to separate yourself from it so much that it made me homophobic. Mm -hmm. By the time I was through high school, like anybody that was gay, I was like, yo, get away from me. And you just had to sit back and think, like, damn, you know, hip hop really is about, um, it seemed like it's about like fighting for your rights in the beginning, about speaking your mind and about breaking down barriers or whatever. But, Everybody in hip-hop discriminates against gay people. To me, like, that's one of the standards of hip-hop, is to be like, yo, you fag, you gay. Matter of fact, the exact opposite word of hip-hop, I think, is gay. <laughs> like, yo, you play a record, and it's, it's like whack? That's gay, dog. You know, if it's good, that's that hip-hop right there. You see what I'm saying? It's like the exact opposite. So it's like the, me speaking for my entire culture, or me looking at my rappers out there, hip-hoppers discriminate against gay people. Mm -hmm. They feel like they can't act. Hold on one second. Everybody, don't throw me off. I really want to say this. I want to say this to America. That's I want to... Speak your mind. No, nah, he was just throwing me off just slightly. Um, I wanted this, to just come on TV and just tell my rappers, just tell my friends, like, yo, stop it, fam. Mm -hmm. Like, like, seriously, that, that's, that's really discrimination. To me, that's exactly what they used to do to black people. I'm just trying to tell people, just stop all that. Kanye's first real public controversy was his appearance on the Red Cross Hurricane Katrina TV fundraiser, 
broadcast live September 2nd, 2005. After the devastation of our country's costliest natural disaster and the government's delayed response to the flooding in New Orleans, frustration grew in many who felt the lack of response was race-related. While George Bush doesn't care about black people is a soundbite we all know by heart. What most don't remember is Kanye's nervous stream of consciousness before that statement. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting. See a white family, it says they're looking for food. And you know it's been five days because most of the people are black. And even for me to complain about, I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch. I've even been shopping before even giving a donation. So now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what's, what is the biggest amount I can give. And, and just to imagine if I was, if I was down there and those are, those are my people down there. So anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with, with the setup, the way America is set up to help the, uh, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the, uh, the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now fighting another way. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Please call. In the past few days, America and people have been stepping up, have been stepping up, However uncomfortable this moment was and continues to be, the interesting thing to me is that his words actually exemplify and parallel everything we came to love about Kanye West's early music. Uninhibited honesty, social critique, self-critique, passion, and a general sense of someone speaking from the heart. And despite the expected outrage and disagreement of some, Kanye's words were accepted and even championed by a large portion of Americans who felt he was simply expressing the general feeling of the country. Even the benefits producer Rick Kaplan, who was initially disheartened by Kanye's words, said of the incident, quote, When you look at it in hindsight, boy, I'm glad he did that. A concert for hurricane relief became politically correct. And I don't mean political correctness. It just became accurate. It became an accurate program, not just a fundraiser, unquote. West himself would apologize to George Bush on the Today Show five years later. I would tell George Bush um, in my moment of frustration that I didn't have the grounds to call him a racist. The Katrina incident made Kanye West a household name and served as an interesting, albeit unintentional, publicity piece for a second album, Late Registration which was released just four days before the broadcast. Late Registration debuted at number one on the music billboard charts, led by its chart-topping single, Gold Digger. In many ways, Late Registration advances the sound established on the college dropout. While the majority of production is still handled by Kanye himself, he enlisted film composer and multi-instrumentalist John Bryan as the album's co-producer. 
Kanye was inspired to add orchestral sounds to his beats after hearing the British trip-hop band Portishead's Roseland NYC live album. The unique pairing of Brian's orchestration and West's beats gives late registration a robustness and maturity while still conserving the soul-inspired sound Kanye established on the college dropout. On Diamonds for Sierra Leone, the duo creates a dark, sprawling backdrop to West's discourse on blood diamonds from Africa. Throw your diamonds in the sky if you feel the vibe. The rock is still alive every time I rhyme. Forever, ever, forever, ever, 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 The album's closing track, Gone, builds around a simple Otis Redding sample, and by the track's end, morphs into a fully formed string section. Cause I'm gone. Lyrically, in terms of pure bars, many feel late registration is Kanye's strongest work as MC. He continues his high-wire balance between conscious and mainstream subject matter, and despite the hit singles Gold Digger and Touch the Sky, late registration contains a melancholic thread throughout much of the album. On the album's opener, Heard Him Say, Kanye reflects somberly as he surveys the American landscape. For seasons, and anything that happened is for a reason. And niggas gun clapping and keep the squeezing. And Graham keep praying and keep believing. And Jesus, and one day that should see him. Till then, walk in his footsteps and try to be him. The devil is alive, I feel him breathing. Claiming money is the key, so keep on dreaming. And put them lottery tickets just to tease us. My Aunt Pam can't put them cigarettes down. So now my little cousin smoking them cigarettes now. His job try to claim that he too niggerish now. Is it cause of skin black? On the song Roses, Kanye expresses anguish and frustration with the hospital's treatment of his grandmother. I know it's past vision at hours, but can I please give her these flowers? The doctor don't want to take procedures. He claim my heart can't take the anesthesia. It'll send a body into a seizure. The little thing by the hospital bed, it'll stop beeping. Hey, chick, I'm at a loss for words. What do you say at this time? Remember when I was nine? Tell her everything gonna be fine, but I'd be lying. The family crying. They wanted to live, and she trying. I'm arguing, like, what kind of doctor can we find? You know, the best medicine go to people that's paid. If Magic Johnson got a cure for AIDS, and all the broke motherfuckers passed away, you telling me if my grandma's in the NBA right now, she'd be okay. But since she was just a secretary worked for the church for 35 years things supposed to stop right here my grandfather trying to pull it together he's strong that's where i get my confidence from late registration escapes the quote-unquote sophomore slump and shows a maturation of kanye's artistry it won him three grammy awards and topped multiple year-end lists including rolling stone's number one album of 2005 
Just two years later, Kanye would release part three of the college theme album's Graduation, somewhat of a departure from the idioms established on college dropout and late registration. Graduation finds Kanye's soul-inspired sound but a whisper of what it once was, augmented and often altogether replaced with brassy synthesizers and electro-rock influenced drums. About graduation, Kanye said, quote, This album has a lot of synthesizers layered on it, which has never really been done in hip-hop before. That doesn't make it good just because it's different, but it's a representation of what I've been listening to, unquote. What he was listening to was a lot of rock music. Having toured with U2 in 2006, Kanye studied the band's stadium anthems and was inspired by their elaborate stage designs. Kanye had visions of headlining arenas himself, and graduation was a deliberate attempt to create music that would serve that purpose. Like we always do with this time, I go for mine, I get to shine, now throw your hands up in the sky. While writing the power ballad, I Wonder, Kanye said he imagined performing the track to 50,000 people. He used fewer words that could be delivered at a high volume and easily sung by a crowd. This simplified approach, both lyrically and thematically, is a through-line on graduation. No longer having to prove himself as a rapper, Kanye was departing from the lyrical acrobats of late registration for a more straightforward approach, with themes that were deliberately more universal. Graduation is also much shorter in length. At 51 minutes, it's 20 minutes shorter than both the college dropout and late registration. With no skits and just 13 tracks, this pared-down approach was again a conscious departure from the norms of hip-hop towards something more akin to a rock album's track list. Graduation was released September 11, 2007, the same day rapper 50 Cent released his third album, Curtis. The two used the shared release date to wage an album sales competition. Uh, I just think it's something really great for hip-hop. It, it, gives reason, it gives the fans a reason to want to buy the music instead of downloading it. And uh, I mean... 50 Cent, he's a pretty uh, intimidating guy, so uh, I'm not really trying to go to war with 50 Cent. I just want to put out my album, if it's okay, you know? You know what? 50 Cent has been quoted as saying that if your album should outsell his, he will never make another album ever again. Have you heard him? <laughs> I really like 50. I don't want him to retire once my album sells the most. I just want him to... Kick his ass. Yeah, I think that too. Like, let's let's say right now, please, 50, do not retire once my album sales and beats your album. Please do not retire, please. Indeed, Kanye did beat 50, selling 957,000 units in the first week to 50 cents 691,000. 
And while the shared release date was mostly an ingenious marketing tool, music critics saw Kanye's victory as indicative of something more, a symbol of the death of gangster rap as hip-hop's dominant mainstream genre. The retrospective article by Complex notes that, quote, if there was ever a watershed moment to indicate hip-hop's changing direction, it may have come when 50 Cent competed with Kanye in 2007 to see whose album can claim superior sales. 50 lost handedly, and it made clear that excellent song crafting trumped a lack of street life experience. Kanye led a wave of new artists, Kid Cudi, Wale, Lupe Fiasco, Kids in the Hall, Drake, who lacked the interest or ability to create narratives about any past gunplay or drug dealing. Unquote. Indeed, the trilogy of the college dropout, late registration, and graduation stands as hip-hop's most influential body of work in the 21st century's first decade. But Kanye would neither have the time nor opportunity for a victory lap, as tragedy would strike just two months after the release of graduation. Due to complications following a cosmetic surgery procedure, Kanye's mother, Dr. Donda West, unexpectedly passed away on November 10, 2007. She was just 58 years old. Kanye and Donda's close relationship was well documented. She was Kanye's spiritual and business advisor, the person Kanye sought for solace and guidance. In a 2000 interview with MTV, he said, quote, This is the reason I did whatever song you might have heard of. This is my mother. I love her. She is my best friend in the whole world. My mother let me work on music. She helped me out. She used to drive me to the studio. She was my first manager. She's still my general manager, unquote. There's an endearing video on YouTube in which Kanye and Donda sit at a press conference together and Kanye is asked to explain his relationship with his mother. Also, if I can, to explain how I feel about my mother, I would, um, I would um, rap the second verse from the song, Hey Mama, off the college dropout. And it says, uh, well, I'll sing the chorus first. It says, Hey Mama, I, I want to scream so loud for you. Cause I'm so proud of you And uh, let me tell you what I'm about to do Mama, I know I act a fool But I promise you I'm going back to school And I appreciate what you allow for me And uh, I just want you to be proud of me Mama, I had to go, uh, 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 uh I want to tell the whole world about a friend of mine This little light of mine, I'm finna let it shine I'm finna take y'all back to them better times I'm finna talk about my mama if y'all don't mind I was three years old When you and I moved to the shop December, harsh winter Gave me a cold You fixed me up Something that was good for my soul Famous homemade chicken soup Can I have another bowl? You work late nights Just to keep on the lights Mommy got me training wheels So I could keep on my bike And you would give me anything in this world Michael Jackson led the end of glove But didn't get me a curl And you never put no man over me And I love you for that Mommy can't you see Seven years old I caught you with tears in your eyes Cause a nigga cheating telling you lies Then I started to cry As we knelt on the kitchen floor I said mommy I'ma love you till you don't hurt no more And when I'm older You ain't gotta work no more And I'ma get you that mansion that we couldn't afford See you're unbreakable Unmistakable Highly capable Lady that's making loot A living legend too Just look at what heaven do Send us an angel And I thank you Mama, I, I, I want to scream so loud for you. 
What you can't see here is Donda mouthing every word, grinning from ear to ear. Needless to say, the unexpected death of his mother had a traumatic impact on Kanye. In interviews years later, Kanye would blame himself for her death. When asked what he sacrificed for his success, he said, quote, My mom, if I had never moved to LA, she'd still be alive. I don't want to go far into it because it would bring me to tears, unquote. Just five months after his mother's passing, Kanye and his then-fiancé of 18 months called off their engagement. The two had been dating on and off since 2002. His mother's passing and the end of his engagement would send Kanye into a dark period of loneliness and depression, despite being in the midst of his glow-in-the-dark world tour. Often playing over 20 shows a month beginning April of 2008 and ending in December of that year, Kanye would take a six-week break in September through mid-October to write and record the album 808s and Heartbreak. In the night I hear him talk The coldest story ever told Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless 808s and Heartbreak is a complete departure from the sound established on Kanye's first three albums. Most notably, the album contains very little rapping. Instead, Kanye sings, and for the majority of the album, his voice is processed through auto-tune. Didn't you know I was waiting on you? Waiting on a dream that had never come true. Didn't you know I was waiting on you? My face turned to stone when I heard the news. When you decide to break the rules. Cause I just heard some real bad news. People are talking. Sonically, Kanye shapes a lamenting, reverb-heavy electronic sound influenced by 1980s synth and electropop. As implied by the album's title, a Roland TR-808 drum sequencer provides the foundation of the project's rhythm section, over which various strings, synthesizers, Japanese acoustic taiko drums, and choir monks are layered with a minimalist touch. I'm in love you, way I wanted to, see I wanna move, but can't escape from you. So I keep it low, keep a secret code, so everybody else don't have to know. So keep your love locked down, your love locked down, keeping your love locked down, your love locked down. Now keep your love locked down, your love locked down. Now keep your love locked down. Remember, with graduation, Kanye had all but solidified his place as the number one hip hop artist in the world at that time. So to go from this I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven when I woke I smit that on a necklace I told God I'll be back in a second man it's so hard not to act reckless to this on lonely nights I start to fade on lonely nights I start to fade her love's a thousand miles away her love's a thousand miles well, it was all kind of a big deal, a withdrawal seemingly no one saw coming. Of course, it doesn't take much to associate the sound of the album with the loss in Kanye's life at this time. Me, just on the hunt for peace, and that's where I'm at right now. Mm. It's like this, uh, this soul searching. This seems to me a record about loneliness, that you feel a bit lost. Oh yeah, well, I was feeling extremely like lonely uh, with the the loss of my mom and like the uh, breakup 
uh, in my relationship at the, you know, around the same time. Ten-time Grammy Award winner. It's a good title, but um, I'd rather be no-time Grammy Award still have certain people in my life, you know. You know. Yeah. Despite its dramatic departure, 808s and Heartbreak did well both commercially and critically. It debuted at number one on the Billboard chart, and the lead single Love Locked Down grossed 1.4 million copies on iTunes alone and was named Time Magazine's Song of the Year. That's not to say the sound of the album was for everyone. Many were off-put by the use of autotune, the lack of rap, and the stark electronic minimalism. But with the gift of time and hindsight, critics now look to 808s and Heartbreak as one of the most influential albums of the past two decades. It encourages established rappers like Lil Wayne, Jay-Z, and others to create more experimental albums of their own, while also shaping the sound and the sentiment of the next generation of artists like Drake, The Weeknd, Childish Gambino, Frank Ocean, Travis Scott, Kid Cudi, and more. Recently, the Rolling Stone included 808s and Heartbreak in its 40 most influential albums of all time. As much as we'd love to believe that 808s and Heartbreak was a cathartic purging of traumatic events of his life at that time, the album was simply not enough to stabilize Kanye. Remember, he'd been essentially going non-stop since the release of the college dropout. In just over four years, Kanye released four full-length albums in which he produced, wrote, and performed, while simultaneously producing for other artists, touring extensively, doing countless interviews, and launching the fashion line Pastel. The compulsive propulsion of Kanye's life all came to a speeding halt on September 13, 2009, at the MTV Video Music Awards. Yo, Taylor. I'm really happy for you. I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. And it's here we come full circle, back to the introduction of our very first episode of the season. If you'll remember, the VMA incident inflated into a global spectacle and would have a drastic, immediate effect on Kanye's career. He was instantly vilified. Celebrities and musicians publicly lashed out at him. He was the butt of seemingly every late-night talk show joke. His national tour with Lady Gaga was canceled. The President of the United States called him a jackass. Still reeling from his mother's death and breakup, the aftermath of the VMAs would cause Kanye to temporarily abandon music and flee the country, a self-imposed exile, a spiritual regrouping that would allow him to reassess his life and purpose. Left America, I stopped doing music altogether. I just took some time. I went to Japan just so I can get away from paparazzi altogether. And then in November, I moved to Rome and just like lived there. And then when I came back to the States, uh, I moved to Hawaii and lived there two months and just worked on music again. I mean, what was good about going away was it was the first time that I got to stop since my mom had passed because I never stopped and I never tried to even you know, soak in what, what all had happened. Or it's, it's the first time I, I stopped since I actually, you know, made it, since I started. And it was time to, you know, take a break and just develop more as a person, as a creative, and focus in more on, like, my thoughts and my ideas and what I wanted to bring, just what I wanted to bring to the world. In some ways, it would seem Kanye felt as if he was back at square one. Having worked so hard and for so long to prove himself as a producer, only to be marginalized as such, 
he worked harder still to prove himself as a rapper. And having proved himself as a rapper, Kanye fought to prove himself an artist on 808s and Heartbreak. Now, after a social gaffe at an awards show, Kanye felt like he stood to lose it all. Because I, I really put myself in a zone that I felt like my life was dependent on the success of this album. You know, and being, with that being the case, I said, you know what? No matter what anybody says about me, they won't. I can, I can write something that can make someone that hates me the most have to really respect or love the song. Indeed, with the stakes set this high in his head, Kanye saw himself as an underdog once again. He consolidated his powers, unifying his diverse musical palette into a colossal maximalism as yet unheard in the world of hip-hop. Within this sonic coliseum, Kanye bears a confliction between his ego and insecurity, between the purity of his creative gifts and his incessant need for adoration. It would be Kanye's comeback album, a universally acclaimed modern masterwork, the album that would for many solidify his stature as the most influential artist of the last decade. Of course, we're talking about Kanye West's 2010 album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which we'll finally begin to explore next time on Dissect. Dissect is written and produced by me, theme music by Bureaucratic. If you enjoy Dissect, consider dropping a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend about the show, or share a link on your favorite social media outlet. There's no team behind Dissect, it's just me, and I can use all the help I can get growing the show. Follow at Dissect Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Dissect community group on Facebook by searching Dissect Podcast. If you'd like to support Dissect, you can do so at patreon.com dissect. By pledging as little as $1 per month, you can help Dissect become more sustainable and help me offset some of the costs of the show. A big shout out to my Diamond Level supporters, Evan Sweat, Salmon Chaudhry, and Jonathan Hardyway for their extra generous support. Again, that's Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash dissect. Finally, I've got to give a gigantic thank you to everyone who supported the recent Kickstarter campaign for the Black of the Berry book created by artist Hannah Sellers and myself. The campaign just ended, and I'm extremely excited to announce that we exceeded our goal by over 450%. We also hit both of our stretch goals and will now be donating $2 for every book sold to Social Works, a youth empowerment charity founded by Chance the Rapper. If you found Dissect late and missed out on the Kickstarter, we may still have some books available for purchase. Go to dissectpodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter to stay updated. Again, Hannah and myself cannot thank you all enough for making this dream project a reality. Seriously, thank you. Okay, that's all. I'll talk to you next week.